Welcome to the Accelerate Podcast, a podcast for high-performing current and aspiring female founders and CEOs across Africa. And for those who also have a passion for Africa, this is the place to learn about the critical success factors and best practices of some of the most amazing high-performing female founders and CEOs as we help you grow to be the best version of you, achieve time and financial freedom whilst living a significant life. Thanks for tuning in to listen. I'm your host, Nekamubi. Let's dive in. Hi, Ndidi. Good evening. And I know you are in Lagos. Yes. So very much for joining this call. So just very quickly, Ndidi is a co-founder of Sahel Consulting and serves as its managing partner. She has over 23 years of international experience in international development. She's also co-founder of Ace Foods, a social enterprise which processes nutritious food made from the best of West African cereals. She's also founder of Leap Africa, which works across Africa, inspiring, empowering, and equipping the next generation of dynamic, principled, and innovative leaders. Ndidi serves as the director for Nestle Nigeria, National Nigerian Breweries, um, and a host of others, including other non-profits, non-for-profits like the Royal DSM Sustainability Board, Netherlands, and the Rockefeller Foundation. She's also an author, a noted author, um, having published, I believe, over two or three books, Social Innovation in Africa. She has about four or five books, right, Ndidi? Ted Global Speaker. And her work has been featured on CNN, BBC, Bloomberg, and a range of other international and local media outlets. She's also a wife and a mother and a daughter and a sister. And she's a very dear friend and sister to me. So did a warm welcome. And thank, thank you, you so for much. joining us today or this evening. Yes. Thank you. My pleasure. How do you combine all that you do? Uh, well, I think it's the special grace of God. I can't take any credits, but I'm in a constant manic state and I take each day at a time. <laughs> you can ask the people who work with me. Um, yeah. Because we're always having new and exciting opportunities and we have a lot going on. So it's a it's an adventure. And I just thank God for the privilege to wear mm. the hats I wear. Call it a portfolio career now. So you have a portfolio, a portfolio. career wearing many hats. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you you wear them and you wear them well because I mean your travel and all of that. So well, it's really um inspiring to see all that you do and that you could actually be and do more. Um thank so you. thank you for and belated birthday greetings. It was your birthday thank on Thursday. You. So on could Sunday. you wish her a happy birthday on Sunday? <laughs> Today's Monday, yes. On Sunday was on Sunday. Thank yes. you, thank you. Okay, so I hope you all keep in safe and well um, as you log in. Okay, so tell us about um, what prompted you to get into the agribusiness sector. You have uh, several years or many years of um, consulting, having worked with McKinsey for several years. Um, went into um, developed co-founded or founded Leap Africa. So what prompted you to, to make a switch or to, you don't know, make a switch, but add that to your portfolio? 
Okay, so when I was in, in secondary school, agriculture was actually my favorite subject. And oh, really? um, I always really loved agriculture. I had a little farm in my backyard. And my first commercial transaction was when a avocado tree that had never produced uh, basically almost fell down after 10 years of no fruit and had an abundance. And I took it to the market and sold it wholesale. So I was like 12 years old. Oh, wow. But I put all of that to the back burner because, as you can imagine, in our context, agriculture is not viewed as a very lucrative and interesting career option. And so in 2008, I was invited to speak in Norway at this Africa Green Revolution conference. At the time, it was organized by Yara. Mm -hmm. And I got to this conference. I was invited to speak on the new business of farming. I had been working with entrepreneurs. And there were 200 people at this conference and maybe 20 Africans. And it's supposed to be called the African Green Revolution Conference. And of the 20 Africans, 14 were ministers of, of agriculture. And as I listened to the statistics on, you know, fertilizer use, 4 kg in Africa versus 60 kg in Asia, or 1 to 3,000 or 9,000, ex uh, one extension officers to 3,000 farmers versus 1 to 50 farmers, or irrigation, 4% of our land is irrigated. I started saying, what? I couldn't understand these statistics. And then I also happened to live in Senegal right after that, at mm -hmm. the height of the food crisis, and seeing people buy half a carrot and half a cucumber, and uh, seeing the distortions in the food system where we pay more for broken rice than whole grain rice mm -hmm. that's dumped from Asia. I just got really angry and God opened my eyes to the challenges in the sector, but also the opportunities and the fact that people with my experience and, and uh, education were ignoring the sector. And yet we needed to unlock the potential to feed ourselves and feed the world and mm. also showed me that we could make money in the sector while mm. improving lives. So seeing the needs, uh, high rates of malnutrition, I actually got a first consulting project to help a multinational enter the continent. And when I found out one out of every three children was stunted, I said, wow, I didn't realize it was this bad and that we we're net importers of food. I mean, the more mm. I learned, the more the angry I became. And I just realized that God had called me for a season to really see what I could do in the sector. And that sparked the creation of Sahel Consulting, Sahel Capital, Ace Foods. And together with my husband, we've now become really invested and ingrained in this sector. Mm. So I see, I hear two things, two main things. One was your passion, even from an early age. And yes. then, of course, seeing really what could be done, really angry that we are not doing more. And so you yes. took it upon yourself that, look, I could actually tap into the opportunities that exist and not really the opportunities for myself, but then also to provide the needed um, food, given that um, there was food shortage being imported, um, food being imported, and all that. So, how long have you? How long have you been? How long has it been now since you got into this space? So, I've been working in this space actively since two thousand and eight. Before that, I used to support entrepreneurs who were in the space through Faith Foundation and Leap Africa. But as an actor mm. in this space, a hundred percent of my time has been since two thousand and eight. Mm -hmm. And we've birthed uh, Ace Foods, which is an agribusiness. We source from 10,000 farmers. We process spices and complementary food. And we also export. 
Um, and then we, I'm a managing partner of Sahel Consulting, which provides ecosystem solutions. We are actively involved in implementing some very challenging projects in dairy, backward integration, yam seed systems, cassava seed systems. We're helping start seed companies across uh, West Africa. And then we're doing value chain studies, market entry studies, policy studies for clients. And then our sister company, Sahel Capital, which manages the Fund for Agriculture Financing in Nigeria, which is a private equity fund. And through that fund, we're invest, we invest three to five million dollars in agribusinesses. So those are the three hats that I wear fully in the sector. Um, but also through my board involvement in some companies that are in the sector, I'm also involved in shaping policy and supporting uh, work in the sector. So now, um, what what areas in Africa, which regions do you cover? Sahel Consulting is primarily West Africa, but with the birth of Nourishing Africa now, we're working across Africa. But before, historically, it was West Africa. That's why we call the company Sahel. The Sahelian region is really the West African region. In terms of Ace Foods, we actually export to the United States and to Europe, and now we actually export to South Africa. So we have customers in each of these countries. And then some of our raw materials are from Cameroon. So we're just not a West African company for Ace Foods. And then Nourishing Africa is our newest baby, which we're incubating, which is is really a hub for a million entrepreneurs in the agriculture and food landscape. And we started it because I had been in this sector for 12 years, and I was struggling um, to scale. And I realized that so many other entrepreneurs like me were struggling to scale. In fact, according to Agra, 80% of the company, uh, 80% of the food in Africa is provided by these small and medium-sized enterprises. And they're called the hidden middle because most times when the government or development partners come into the space, they don't even recognize this SMEs. They recognize mm-hmm. the small subsistence farmers and the multinationals that are aggregators like Aolam. But in Mm. between are all a whole range of SMEs who are on a daily basis addressing the needs and adding value in the sector and they're ignored. And they need data, they need access to financing, they need knowledge, they need support, they need to meet each other. They need technical and other types of skills. They need to find talent. And so we decided to create a one-stop shop for them um, to really enable them to scale. We believe this sector can be at least $1 trillion at the low end and up to 8 or $9 billion at the high end. And we want African entrepreneurs to be at the forefront of this transformation, making the changes, but also benefiting from the opportunities. Yes, so that's really what prompted me to actually even have this. Because a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, you were in Nairobi and you hosted a masterclass of which I was one of the facilitators or speakers. And what you presented for me was like an eye opener in terms of the opportunities um, that are open or available to to Africans. And not necessarily, you know, we have the mindset uh, it's just um, small scale farming, but the way you presented it I felt that it was important for members of this community and they are from over 20 countries to get some insights into um, the opportunities or what the platform is. I believe this this is actually the first of its kind in Africa and the uh, goal of, um, of bringing together about a million 
agribusinesses, it's not impossible. I mean, I'm sure they are out there. Um, how can they, for those who are interested in, who, was, who are even still considering a career in, in or a business in this, what, what advice do you have for them first? Well, I think there are tremendous opportunities in the agribusiness landscape. It's a wide space. Everywhere you look, there are opportunities. But ultimately, every entrepreneur has to determine what their passion is, what their interest is, mm-hmm. and what problem they want to solve. And there are opportunities from farm to fork. There are opportunities in seed industry. So if you have a technical background, there are lots of opportunities to actually create improved seed. Because over 80% of the seed we use in, in Africa is, is farmer-saved seed. So the seed industry is untapped. Then there are opportunities in fertilizer blending and packaging. There are opportunities in logistics, in financing, in ICT, in high-end technology like drones and sensors and data, data management and insurance and micro-insurance and the opportunities in processing and aggregation. And what blows my mind is that so many of us have left these opportunities for people to come from other parts of the world to leverage them. There's opportunities in water management and drying technology and mechanization. And whenever I go to these agriculture conferences, I'm just shocked at how other people are planning for Africa's future when Africa's best and brightest minds should be at the forefront of addressing these opportunities because we're naturally endowed for agricultural excellence. So once you've figured out your passion and your sweet spot, then you really have to determine what region, if whether you want to be a local player, a national player, a regional player, or an Africa-wide player, and who you want to serve, whether you want to do B2B, B2C, B2G. I mean, you can have an agriculture service that serves other businesses. Or mm. your, your, your product can serve, go directly to consumers. So you have to figure out a, a whole range of um, options as to your entry strategy. And obviously, you refine your model as you go. But that entry strategy has to be rooted in what your core competency is, your skills and your passions. It's not different from entering into any other sector. But what is unique about the sector is the complexity and the fragmentation. So there's not a lot of data because we haven't really studied the sector. And so one of the things we're offering in Nourishing Africa is access to data, access to reports. So you don't have to make mistakes. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then we're exposing you to experts who can guide you through the different uh, options. Um, And then when you settle on one, you have access to other entrepreneurs in other countries that might not see you as competition who will be willing to share knowledge and ideas and resources um, and I, I think you can go into the sector by yourself. This is one sector where you really require partnerships and broad-based engagement. And when you talk about partnerships, I mean, tapping into or becoming a part of Nourishing Africa really opens the door for you because you are highly connected. And as you said, you can do this by yourself. I, am, I know on the website of the platform, there are opportunities for for um, those who are interested, like grants? All you need to do is search by country, search by your interest in or value chain, and you'll see a list of lots and lots of opportunities for you. And many people don't know that they can actually access grants because agriculture is considered a, a social impact because of the number of lives you touch, because of your ability to address malnutrition, create jobs, change lives. And so there's so many accelerators, incubators, grants, challenge funds that you can leverage. And 
if you don't take advantage of them, other people will. And on a daily basis, our team is being asked to give contacts. You know, we need entrepreneurs in these three countries. UNICEF wants to work with them. We need entrepreneurs in these four countries. Already, we're starting to build that referral service and the momentum around saying to these funders, you don't always have to go for the usual suspects. Now we have a broader um, uh, platform and we can create a level playing field so that it's not only people they know, we can make sure that they get to meet everybody who's doing good work. So I encourage all the entrepreneurs in your hub to please go to nourishingafrica.com. It's free. Upload your profile so automatically people get to know you and then engage on the platform. Yeah, and then even if you are not interested, because we have members from over 20 countries in Africa here. So if, you, if you're not even interested in agriculture yet or in agribusiness, then I would encourage you to tell a friend, you know, spread the word such that uh, every African country is represented on Nourishing Africa. We don't have any excuse. This is not a one-stop shop for access to information, access to network, access to training, so really, really, you don't have any excuse. Okay, now, so Ndidi, for those who are already in agribusiness, doing some form and I want to scale, what would be the couple of steps they could? And before you even um, explain that, what do you consider scale? Let's first define that and okay. then, yeah, because that is quite a <laughs> subjective. Um, so yeah, yeah so, so the scope of that yeah. and then, yes. So, there are many, many definitions of scale, and it depends on whether it's a product or service. Um, but what I would say is that there, you have to close your eyes and dream and envisage what does success look like to you. I can't define success for you. But what I challenge entrepreneurs to think about is that we're going to be 2.4 billion people by 2050. These are 2.4 billion people who need food. And so if you start, you're starting an initiative, you can't be satisfied with saying I'm serving 100 people if you're in agriculture. I'm challenging you to think about what success looks like at scale. And so my challenge is what can we do to ensure we can feed ourselves and feed the world? So start with millions in your mind. How can I serve millions of customers? How can I fulfill the needs of millions of customers and work backwards? Because that will define your business model. And the first step is, if you've said it's millions, then your product or service has to be demand-driven. It has to be demand-driven, meaning people have to be willing to pay for it. They can pay for it in installments. They can pay for it using M-Pesa every single day, but they have to pay something. It can't be donor-subsidized forever. The second is that it has to leverage technology because technology reduces your costs and increases your efficiency. So there's no business today that should not leverage technology in some way or shape or form. It has to shape the ecosystem. You're coming in, you want to build a a scalable business. You have to ensure that the policy environment supports that business. And if it doesn't, you have to get ahead of the curve and shape the policy, create a policy environment. That means you have to engage actively with the community You have to build a brand. That's number four. You have to tell your story. You have to package yourself. Number five is that you have to build in resilience to shocks. And in agriculture, we deal with climate change. We deal with coronavirus, (laughs) COVID-19. And your ability to deal with shocks and how you insulate your business and how you diversify your business. That's something you think about from day one. 
because they're going to be shocks. In Africa, they're always shocks. So the question is, are you resilient? And then the final one is, do you, is it simple enough that your model can be understood and you can institute systems or structures to enable it to scale? Sorry, seventh is low cost. Now, there's a price point if you're doing food in many African countries. If you want millions of people to afford your food, there has to be a price point. You can come in with $20 product. for That is a niche product. If you want people to eat it every single day, in our country, in Nigeria, we use like a 50 naira, max 100 naira cap because you want masses of people. That's about $2 or so. No, uh, 100 naira. No, 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 30 cents. 30 cents. Yeah, 30 cents. So the truth is there's a price point and it has to be low cost enough. So you have to remove all the fats in the business as you find the model. Now, if you have those seven things, your business has the excellent model and can scale, can reach millions. The second, after you define the model, then you have to find the right talent. Every business needs talent. You can't do Mm. it alone. You need a strong board of directors. You need strong team members who are passionate and committed, who are hungry, who are humble, who are um, who have emotional intelligence. And then you also need to Im- figure out how to leverage volunteers and short-term consultants and outsource some components of your work. And then the third piece is financing. You have to find the appropriate financing for the stage of your business. And the good news is that there's more money chasing projects and companies in Africa than can absorb them. So you have to be investment ready. It means you have to keep your books and NECA is the guru on this. You have to be able to be transparent and accountable. Um, but there's a lot of money available to you. So that's the good news. And the fourth is that you have to be able to partner. I've talked about it. You have to partner with other entrepreneurs, non-profits, for-profits, public sector, you have to partner. And finally, you have to have a succession plan. And I always tell entrepreneurs, the day you start your business, you should be thinking about when you're going to exit because you want to build a company that you can continue to own, but you don't have to manage day to day. And thinking about that from day one is critical. And all these form the chapters in my book. I'm working on a book. On I was going to, I was, that was, that was, scale. <laughs> okay. I was actually thinking of the other, you know, the one that had. Reaching millions for, with effects. Yes. Yes. yes that's this, also, it, this, it really. This one. Work. Okay. Yeah. This mm-hmm. one is just focused on entrepreneurs in the agriculture sector. And it's hopefully will be launched okay. in November. Yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm Can't working on. Can't wait to read that. So that's yeah, it. So yes. So that's, you get any of her books. And you also have another one on uh, corporate governance. That's yes, also yes. so Leap, Leap has area. written 11 books. Yes, 11. Uh, so we wrote, I wrote 11 books through Leap, but I don't call it the, yes. my books because we actually have yeah. Leap Africa on them. So I served more as an okay. editor. Okay, so Leap Africa, the company that a company that she founded has written <laughs> 11 books of which yes. one corporate governance. Can they get that online on yes. Amazon? I think they can okay. get it on Amazon. It's called, it's okay. called Get On Board. A, practi- yes, a practical gets on guide board. building high-impact boards of directors, yes. Absolutely, so, that's really a very yeah. good book. So, yes, yes. Go ahead. thank you, thank you. So, I mean, for me, I think that it's possible to scale, and you can scale ideas. So if you mm-hmm. are, for example, telling me, indeed, I don't want to reach you know, people with my products or services, you can scale ideas. People can mm-hmm. replicate your ideas. You can h- use the franchise model. There's so many ways to scale. Once, If you want to have a sense of excellence and then have other people come and copy you and replicate mm-hmm. all over the continent, mm-hmm. that's also a possibility. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there are many, many ways to scale. Um, but I would say that you have to envisage what success looks like at scale. I mean, there are some mm-hmm. examples of companies in Africa in the food sector that have scaled. ShopRite has scaled. It's a retailer, right? Um, or Nando's is has scaled. Nando's, you can find Nando's in London. It started in South Africa. Right. Um, you know, that's fr- scaling through the franchise model. Um, ShopRite has scaled organically by building branches in different countries. Olam has scaled. Olam started in Nigeria in 1989. Now it's traded on the Singapore Stock Exchange and is in 26 countries. And it's a multi-billion dollar business. So we're starting to see many, many success stories of that have scaled. We want to see more that are indigenous, mm. that are black, mm. African. I have a, a special spot Absolutely. for people of color in Africa right. who are scaling. And I want to see that achieved in my lifetime. And I, and one key thing from what you've been speaking about is around the dreaming, being able mm-hmm. to dream with, you know, without restricting yourself. I believe mm-hmm. that's first and foremost, right? Of what do you see? That's critical. See millions, that's yeah. Critical. Mm. And then if you can, then there will that's be a critical. way. Because we think, oh, let's start with what we have rather than, and then yes. keep working and the one man, sole proprietor and all of that. Meanwhile, if you just dream, and not think, as I say, suspend the reality of how you will find partners, you will find people. Where there's a will, there is a way, right? Exactly. And so what comes Exactly. Out? In fact, you know, I was challenged when I was writing my first book. Now, I was going to give an example. I was challenged when I was writing a, school, a chain of schools. And they told me their break-even point is 500,000 mm-hmm. students. And I looked at who was funding them. And they had gotten funding from about 10 international funders. And they hadn't broken even. But what they could sell to these guys was that their break-even point was 500,000 students. And I said to myself, how many of us Mm. have thought about that? You know, how many of us in our pitch can say, my break-even point is 2 million customers. (laughs) Help me get to 2 million customers. Absolutely. So let me even ask, so what's the trigger? Because again, I believe dreaming is from... um, how you dream is maybe due to your exposure, what you've seen. So for someone maybe who doesn't have as much exposure, how, or, or tell me, how, how can they begin to dream? Or how can we dream even bigger dreams? What I tell people is, is I ask them basically, what makes you angry about your society? If anger doesn't propel you, then it's joy. What gives you joy? What would you do for free? And if you get to know yourself, self-awareness is the most important thing for an entrepreneur. So if you you know yourself, I realized that I was angry and I used to see hungry people. And I I don't, some people see other things that I don't see, but for me, it was hunger. Mm. And if if there are 50, there are going to be 50 million people in Lagos and 70% of them live on less than a dollar a day. How can I want to start a niche business that will only serve a hundred? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So the issue is, if you really understand the problem you're trying to solve and you understand the magnitude of the problem, mm-hmm. then you cannot be content just with it, is being a drop in the ocean when the problems will not be mm-hmm. solved if you don't do it on a large scale. But I think many mm-hmm. of us are not self-aware. A lot of us have entered business because we've not gotten a job or we saw somebody else doing it, but we haven't really looked Or just to make money. I just to make money to say, God, what would you mm. have me do? What am to, I uniquely yeah. positioned to do? What was I born to do? And if you mm. really do some self uh, introspection and challenge yourself, you actually 
realize that there's a problem you've seen that you are uniquely designed and you've been sent on this earth to solve in Africa. Mm -hmm. And that through Africa, you can actually solve that problem globally. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. has to propel us um, because it doesn't matter whether you've been exposed. I think exposure is important, but now the internet allows us to be exposed everywhere. Absolutely, like, yeah. You, can, you don't have to leave any, anywhere. No, you yeah. don't. You really don't, yeah. So yeah. really, what you're really angry about, I would even say, because then you're really like, you got to do something. You have to do something yes. about it. Yes, yes. Really, really, I yeah. Mean, I am so angry. And right now, what keeps me up at night is with COVID-19, we're so focused on the virus, which is, is really a pandemic and something we should be worried about. But then we're missing out on what could be a bigger issue, which is starvation mm. and hunger. Because in many of our countries, I don't know about East Africa, but in West Africa, we're starting the planting season right now in March, March, April. And this period is so crucial for farmers because they have to plant and then they harvest around September, October. And then you have food from th- from that period for the following year because we're still rain-fed. I told you that we, we're not a heavy irrigation. We haven't really mm. adopted irrigation. So if we're rain-fed, it means that if we don't plant now, for the next 12 months, we will have severe starvation. And this is a crisis for me because a lot of people are too afraid there's lockdowns, there are clampdowns, which they should be. But I feel like what other countries did was that they viewed farmers the same way they viewed healthcare workers. As, as essential, essential services. Workers. Essential mm. services. And they protected mm. them. And they gave them protective mm. care. And they supported them to do their work. I see that being mm. done in Mexico. I mean, they're, they're clapping and hailing farmers who are going out in spite of the fear of coronavirus to ensure that you don't have massive starvation and malnutrition. And it's not mm. going to happen three months from now. I'm talking about six months, nine months, when the rest of the world has moved on with their emergency silos and their emergency rations, we will now become the region where they're sending food aid and where you're showing starving children. And this is what is going to happen. And this one is, is mm. seen it coming. Do you know what I mean? And there's mm. already been droughts mm. in many of our countries. In, in Southern Africa, about six countries have had drought for the last three years. So they're already receiving food aid from the World Food Program. And with mm, all the countries mm. facing the crisis now, they're going to clamp down on the how demand much for that. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. And funding is going to dry up from a lot of these countries that are struggling, especially European mm. countries. So we're going to have to, this is Africa's time to deal with its own problems. And we cannot mm. neglect food. And the argument I made in the op ed I wrote today was that food is medicine. I mean, you mm. need food to recover from COVID-19, ventilators and uh, drugs. So I think for me, I, I, I would like all the entrepreneurs on your hub to be shouting from the rooftops in their countries and getting mm. policymakers to recognize that agriculture workers and farmers are essential to the fight for mm. against COVID-19. So how to remain focused? We're talking about COVID-19 as an entrepreneur. And we have this COVID-19 storm. How would you, um, what would you advise those listening or watching this to, what should they do? How should, how do they remain focused given the uncertain, volatile um, world that we are experiencing now? 
Well, the first thing I'll suggest is that you have to have a meeting with your team and come up with a strategy. You can do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, if you are in a service industry, you can definitely set up the strategies to work remotely, um, ensuring that your team members have data and for those who don't have electricity, have storage devices. Um, but if you are in a production facility or you are in a farm, uh, you have a farm or whatever that case may be, you can't afford to work remotely. You actually need people. No, you can't. But what we're doing in our factory and what many other factories are doing is that they're reducing the number of staff who come in to ensure social distancing. They're instituting protocols um, from the perimeter all the way into the factories. They are restricting visitors and access to the outside world. They are going out um, instead of letting people come in. Um, so they're instituting very clear systems and structures. And then the third thing is, guys, we have to cut, we have to manage costs. This is going to be a long haul flight. Bike. It's not something that's going to disappear in, you know, two weeks. People are telling us it's going to be two to three months if we're lucky. Um, some people are saying it's going to be until September, October, until the world settles down. And if that's mm. the case, you're going to have to be, make some tough decisions about what costs you can cut and how you stay afloat. I've written to all my clients and customers to just let them know what we're doing, how we're handling this. And I think managing expectations, managing relationships allows you to build support um, and weather the storm. Um, and I'm also happy to see that some governments are stepping up with packages and support from you know, the financial sector, right. tax holidays. So entrepreneurs should definitely stay aware of what opportunities they have to get some support from government. Um, for subsidies or holidays or um, intervention funds uh, because those funds will be very useful during this time and as you attempt to rebuild. But it's not going to be easy and it's going to be tough and we have to brace ourselves. But that's why we need each other more than ever before. And that's why Absolutely. please get on Nourishing Africa, find other yeah. entrepreneurs, share with them on a daily basis um, get some strategies from them. And if, if your market in your country is drying up, maybe another country um, will need your service. If you have digital services to offer, this is your time to shine. There are some companies that are going to do extremely well during this time period, um, depending on what you offer. And there are others who are going to struggle and might have to refine their business models. Yeah, so even for those who, and that's why it's in getting your team together and kind of strategizing. Because mm -hmm. then if you, that your business mm, it's really going to there's you, you, there's really no way out you may then reconsider and develop exactly. a new business model exactly. yeah, and take advantage of where the opportunities because exactly. some businesses this will be a great opportunity for them and even new exactly. opportunities will, exactly. you know, will spring Emerge. up even right now exactly. absolutely Thank okay you well so we are over time any final thoughts that no, you want to share I just want to encourage everyone um, to keep hope alive. It's a difficult time. But as I said, this sector is a long-term sector. It's here to stay. You need to eat every day. There's a, a quote I'd like to end with that I read somewhere, which says, you know, once in your life, you need to see a doctor. You need to see a lawyer. You need to see a, an undertaker. You need to see <laughs> an engineer. But every day, every day, three times a day, you depend on somebody in the agricultural sector three times a day so this is a sector that's here to stay for the rest of our lives we're going to need food and so please 
look into the sector, get excited about it, embrace it, get on nourishingafrica.com. We would love to support you and to celebrate you as you scale. Wishing you all the best. Thank you very much, Ndidi, for this time. We so have definitely much. covered Nourishing Africa. Check that out. If you're not interested in agribusiness at this time, I'm sure you know one or two people in your circle of influence that you can tell about getting, getting them on to nourishingafrica.com. Share this also with your friends and um, spread the word about the opportunities in agribusiness. We should not leave this for others to come in and take what we can really tap into. Thanks a lot and um, keep safe. This concludes this episode of Accelerate. All the information links will be down in the show notes. If you have not done so already, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player of choice on Apple. This will make sure you don't miss any of the amazing content we have lined up and rolling out for you. If you love this episode, it would mean a lot if you would leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. Finally, if you haven't connected with me over on Instagram and you're interested in learning more about similar episodes and all that's happening before they even get announced publicly, let's make sure to connect over there at Accelerate or Nekamubi on Instagram. But with all that said, I appreciate you being here. I look forward to connecting with you over on Instagram. And until I see you in the next episode, endeavor to grow, profit, and make an impact.